Several San Diego scientists recently brought to market a drug that helps cure a specific type of blood cancer. However, due to the rarity of myeloproliferative neuroplasms and the challenges of getting a drug to market, fedratinib may have never happened. The drug's 13-year journey is a glimpse into how difficult the fight against cancer is. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Bradley Fikes, you're a science writer for the Union-Tribune, and recently you wrote a story about this cancer drug that's been through a series of twists and turns. What is this drug, and why is it so powerful? This drug is called Fidratinib, and it's marketed as Enrebic, I hope I pronounce it correctly, by Celgene, a company that acquired the rights to it. And it's so powerful because it targets a mutation found in certain blood cancers. Mm -hmm. And these are a family called myeloproliferative neoplasms. And that means there's a disorder in your bone marrow where certain cells grow faster than others and crowd out normal cells. Mm -hmm. And this can cause you to become tired, your blood doesn't uh, function properly. Lots of bad things happen, and eventually, in the worst cases, you develop leukemia, and that's, you know, you have a risk of dying from that or other complications. And part of the story of this drug is that it's kind of gone through a series of different legal twists and turns. Let's go back to the beginning in which it was first discovered. Okay. In 2008, a company called Targogen decided to develop a drug based upon the recent discovery of this mutation mm-hmm. and its importance in these myeloproliferative neoplasms. And UCSD researchers, including Dr. Katrina Jameson, who also sees patients, helped to discover the importance of this mutation. So they kind of teamed up with other researchers and they developed this drug found out that this really does stop this mutation cold and patients who respond to it, uh, they were put into clinical trials and they, some of them did very well. Mm -hmm. And the thing that happened though was that there was a last minute problem. Some patients got ill and one died, only a total of maybe eight uh, told, but uh, out of hundreds treated, but the company that had acquired a targetgen, a company called Sanofi, decided this is too dangerous, and they stopped development. And by that time, there was one competing drug on the market, so there was the expectation that these patients could just go to another drug. Mm-hmm. But as it turned out, it didn't work that way, and some of the patients began dying, and that no other drug could keep them alive the way fedratinib did. Mm-hmm. So essentially, for a certain amount of patients, this was kind of the life-saving key for them. Yes, that they had no alternative, you know, except perhaps a bone marrow transplant, which is risky, and not all patients can get a match. Mm-hmm. So it was that because the drug was put on the shelf, because of this uh, perceived risk, these patients had no other alternative, and they began dying. And it took a, a pretty major effort to bring back this drug to show that it was not dangerous and then to raise money to form another company to finish the clinical testing and get it ready for market. 
And how did these clinical trials usually work? I think people are used to hearing that term, but are kind of uncertain on kind of the process of how it works. Well, usually you have three phases. Phase one is your testing safety, and you might get some indication of effectiveness. Phase two, you get more indications of effectiveness. And phase three, if it goes well, you can qualify the drug for approval. Mm-hmm. And Fedratinib had been close to getting through phase three, and they were the paperwork was almost there to file when it was suddenly dropped. And patients who had been on this drug for as up to five years and benefited were suddenly told the trial was shut down. Hand in your medications. Uh, there's, you know, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, and I imagine that was particularly heartbreaking because they actually felt some relief because these symptoms from this cancer are really specific, right? Yes, you can get symptoms like the an enlarged spleen because your your blood forming cells migrate out of the bone marrow because they're displaced by scar tissue and they go to other parts of the body too and the spleen is especially vulnerable when it enlarges it can it can rupture easily and that could cause death mm-hmm. and patients get tired they uh, have lower resistance to infections there's just lots of things that this disease does to you and just wears you uh, out Although some patients can live with it for a number of years, but eventually it does progress. Mm -hmm. And here's Nancy Davison describing what some of those symptoms are like. But the biggest thing for me was my spleen. I mean, if you think of a water balloon, and um, if it's full of blood, the spleen is... is People can die from a ruptured spleen. So if you you have um, a water balloon, any little bit of, of palpating it... I mean, even when I was pregnant with my... Well, I had my first child, and then I had my second child. And my doctor, even at that point, said, um, "You know, don't don't let your first child kick you on your left side, because it could rupture your spleen." It was that big that even just that little bit could rupture my spleens. So, when you were speaking to Miss um, Davidson, what was it like having her recount that experience of losing this drug that really improved her life? It was really difficult to believe this could happen to somebody. Mm -hmm. We have very modern, high-tech medicine, and but at least I knew that she lived. I Mm -hmm. mean, that was, but I mean, that she had good support from her husband, but it was like, oh, how do you you just cope with this? Mm -hmm. And she was lucky to have a husband who would support her, but she uh, basically had to spend as much time as possible taking care of her own health, trying to find any other drug that might help her. And and as it turned out, ultimately she did get back on the drug. What happened was that a new company was formed called Impact Biomedicines, and they purchased the rights to Fidratinib. They raised money, and they were bringing it back. And then, in another twist, Impact Biomedicines was bought by Celgene, mm-hmm. a, uh, a large drug company, and Celgene paid up to $7 billion plus $1.1 billion up front for this drug, and they finished the process of getting Fedratinib approved. Mm-hmm. And how long were the patients that were having benefits from this drug not able to access it? 
It was for about three or four years, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, this was in November of 2013 that it was withdrawn. And I think some patients got back on it uh, in 2017 under a compassionate use basis. I might be a little bit off on the date there, but it was at least four years. Uh, and some patients were allowed to get it on compassionate use once the clinical trial hold was removed which took a lot of doing, a lot of evidence, looking over the people who had fallen ill uh, while taking the drug to show this drug was not the cause of their illness or, in one case, a death. Mm -hmm. So you had to go through everything about each patient and, and satisfy the, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration that this drug should be approved. Mm -hmm. And this is clearly a very different kind of pharmaceutical because it's not like heart disease or asthma where you have a large population that is suffering from this. So is it just because cancer is so specific as to why it takes so long for these pills or any medication to get actually get to the market? I think in general that this is what happens. It could take 8 to 10 years or 12 years to get a drug from first testing to approval and some of that is obviously necessary for safety. Although in some cases, when you have people whose lives are really at risk and the potential harm for the drug is minor comparison to uh, the very high likelihood they will die without it, you know, it the, the risk-benefit equation changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I imagine it's you hear scientists try not to have people draw conclusions from this story. Yeah. But what does it say about the current state of drug research today? Well, the good news is that we're getting a lot of good new specific drugs targeting various types of cancer. And some of these, like fedratinib, are gentler on you. I mean, they can still have an effect on you if you don't get, uh, if you get too high of a dose. But mm -hmm. They're not like chemo, which is basically trying to poison the cancer before you poison the patient. And they act very specifically on that, you know, on the genetic weaknesses of the cancer without uh, hitting normal cells. And so that's the good news. The bad news is that there's a lot of people who can fall through the cracks because you're trying to develop a drug for the greatest good of the greatest number of people. Mm -hmm. But there are individual people who go through these clinical trials in good faith, and a drug is shown to be effective. They're responding, and through no fault of their own, it could be taken away. Mm -hmm. And you know this is, and this was an injustice. And you had some very dedicated people saying this drug should be there. These people are benefiting. Lives can be saved. And it was a pretty major effort, but they finally succeeded. Yeah, and there's also the chance that for a certain person, for whatever reason, the drug just doesn't work. Yes, and, and this drug does not help all patients with uh, uh, this uh, blood cancer. It helps a number of them, though, and the thing is that when it works for them, it works really well, and they can get their life back. Mm -hmm. So after tracking down this story that has many twists and turns, what have you learned as a health reporter and science reporter of how the kind of industry is changing? Well, the technology is really getting good, and the clinical trial system might need to change with it. 
One patient I talked with, you know, Nancy Davidson, she was first admitted to a placebo arm of the trial. Mm-hmm. And so she was not getting any medication for her cancer. And and in some cases, you just might say that you want to say how many people get sick and die from placebo to show the drug is effective. Mm-hmm. But that's she said that was really uh, inhumane that uh, and that she... Uh, she lasted out long enough that they could put her to the open label end where she knew she was getting the drug and then she did improve. Mm-hmm. But to give people a placebo when you've got a very serious uh, disease like cancer uh, is highly questionable because you're counting on enough people dying to prove it's effective and there should be we should look at a better way of handling this. Yeah, but isn't that also the scientific method, or is, yeah. is there like a change in thought of when it comes to life-saving drugs, we should throw that away? The process of using placebo for patients that are seriously ill and at risk of death does seem inhumane. It is certainly scientifically valid to do so, but there might be other ways of getting that information, such as looking at the natural history of people with this disease, how many have died, what proportion would die, and seeing if people treated with this drug show a better response. Do they not die as often? Do they recover? And and, and there's a need to get people in clinical trials, but it's kind of hard to, to convince a lot of people if you're told there's a 50% chance you'll be getting a placebo and that you may not uh, be given care that that might help you. And Mm -hmm. in Nancy Davidson's case, she was not even given any therapy, not standard of care. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And she just had to toughen out for half a year until she finally got admitted to an open label arm where she got the drug. Mm -hmm. That raises a lot of ethical questions. Yeah. It's people want to, would like to get uh, involved in clinical trials, but I think that they should have some assurances that they're not going to be uh, sacrificed for a statistic. You know, mm-hmm. if I mean that the, the motivation of people in clinical trials is also important. Well, the good news is that we have some very good technology developing new treatments for cancer. The bad news is that we need to somehow update how our clinical trial system works. And I'm not an expert on that, but it, it would seem that asking patients to have a, a chance of dying from getting no medication, that we should be able to figure out a better way of handling it. Mm-hmm. All right. Bradley Fikes, thank you so much. You're welcome. In other health news, a new tech-driven healthcare option has opened in Westfield UTC. One Medical is a primary care clinic that is backed by Alphabet, Google's parent company. One Medical operates more like a spa than a traditional health clinic. The company has a membership model, so patients have to pay a concierge fee of around $200 per year. At its core, One Medical isn't that different from any other doctor's office. The membership doesn't cover visits and services, which are still charged to the patient's health plan like a traditional fee-for-service practice. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. If you also like your news in your email inbox, we've got you covered. You can sign up for breaking news, top headlines, business, sports, entertainment, watchdog, caregiving, and more. 
We've also got emails in Espanol, plus emails for Pacific Magazine and a host of community newspapers. Just go to uniontrip.com newsletters. Until next time.